1: family? Everybody doing all right? You got to be doing all right. The music, mm. don't you love it? I mean, I'm a, I, I was asked in my uh, interview for this position what kind of music I like, and I said, well, I like lots of different kinds of music. It's like asking to pick an ice cream flavor, and that's what I like about whole life, right? Different flavor every week, and, uh, and uh, you can't go wrong with ice cream. And you can't go wrong with music. So um, thank you, Richard, for uh, just making that happen. And for all the people who are uh, making that music happen, we just sure appreciate that. Now, I've been told that we have a mission at Whole Life Church. I, you guys are getting the hang of, that Ken does this every week, all right? Yeah, I've been told we have a mission, and that mission is that, what was it? Loving people, Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God right? And the way that we know whether we're accomplishing that mission, the way that we know how to go about accomplishing that mission is through the values that we have. And the values that we have here at Whole Life, you're welcome to say them with me if you want to be interactive. If you don't want to, you don't have to today. I'll just go ahead and let it be up to you. But if you wanted to say the values with me, you'd say that our values at Whole Life Church are love, acceptance, forgiveness, grace, the Bible, worship, and participation. Oh, you made my heart warm. I, like, I gave you the option not to, and you still did it. That made me so happy. I'm sorry. Um, anyway, so love, acceptance, forgiveness, uh, grace, the Bible, worship, and participation. These are our values, and this is how we know how to get to our mission. They're the compass. They're what guides us on that path. And that's why I've chosen to do a series of sermons on our values. Because not only is it important for you to understand what our values as a church, it's important for me as your new pastor, to know what these values are. And so I've really enjoyed over the last several weeks, really digging into each one of these values and making sure that I internalize it because if I don't know what they are, the rest of us are in trouble, right? Leaders have to actually know where they're going. And so that's why I'm really grateful that you're bearing with me. I know you know all these values backwards and forwards, so you may not be hearing anything new. I hope you are but if you're not, thank you for bearing with me because I'm actually getting some new things for myself out of this. Let's go ahead and have a prayer as we uh, get going today. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for how you love us, for how you care for us. And today as we talk about your grace, Lord, I pray that, that you would really speak. There are some people here today who really need to appreciate and understand your grace. And that would be every single one of us. We pray these things in your name, Amen. So, uh, if you've interviewed for a job recently, what's the first question you get asked in an interview? Have you been vaccinated? <laughs> that's good. I—that's uh, uh, um, actually that was not asked in my interview. So maybe, perhaps that is uh, maybe that's more of Advent Health's uh, thing. But uh, <laughs> good. question. I didn't see that one coming. I love it. All right. So usually the first question is, tell us a little bit about yourself, right? No, I guess not so much a question as a statement. Tell us a little bit about yourself. You do that. But I always think that the second question that gets asked tells you a lot about the organization. Because the second question that asked to me is usually the one that they want to make sure that if they got to nothing else, they don't miss it. And it's really important. So do you know what the second question I was asked when I was interviewing for a whole life pastor? I was really proud that your board chair, Rena Freeman, asked this question. She asked this question, and I thought, this says a lot about whole life. What does grace mean to you? And so I got to answer that question in the interview, and I'd like to answer that question for you as a family today. Uh, Grace to me looks like this car. Because whenever I see a picture of that car, I'm reminded of the catalyst that brought me into a deeper understanding and appreciation for what grace really is. I don't know if replacing tires on a car has ever made you angry at God or made you cry, but replacing the fork tires on that car, did both of those things to me. We had bought the car about six months prior. Rochelle was a full-time working mom at home. And so we were just depending on my salary as a Seventh-day Adventist pastor to take care of our two kids and our family. We had moved. We had a house in Georgia that we had renters in that weren't always paying their rent. And then I was trying to pay the rent where I was at. And we had had a car that was paid off, but kept breaking down on me. And so we bought that car to try to be something that would be reliable and would work in Spokane. We need all-wheel drive where the snow is at. And we bought that car, and six months later, when I took the car in to be serviced, And I've been taking it very faithfully. The person that was servicing the car came out and said, you're going to need four new tires. I said, I just bought the car six months ago. And I've been bringing it to you every time I get it serviced. What do you mean I need four new tires? And he said, well, you haven't been rotating your tires. I said, you mean you haven't been rotating my tires? (laughs) And he said, no, you didn't ask us to do it. And I said, I thought that kind of came with the whole works package. Did I miss something? And so it was, you know, I'm a pastor, so I had to tone it down a little bit from what I really felt. But I was furious because I don't know if you've ever been in a place in life where four tires could break you, but that's where we were at. And I was furious. I was furious with the dealership. I was furious with myself, if I was probably a little honest, but I was really angry at God. How dare you? How dare you, God, have me become a pastor, which was not the career field I was headed for, but I wanted to do what you wanted me to do. And you can't do something as simple, as simple as getting the dealership to just rotate the tires and keep, or, or if they forgot, just keeping the tread. I mean, you've you parted the Red Sea. How hard is it? to not have to replace these tires. And, And where am I going to get the money from to do this? How dare you, God? Don't you know I'm doing you a favor and you can't do something as simple as take care of the four tires on this? And I think that my frustration with God had been growing because being a pastor, as it turns out, I know you think that pastors only work one day a week and it's just the easiest job on earth. But I had thought that too, and I became a pastor. (laughs) And uh, it turns out it's not exactly that way. And so I'm brand new pastor. I'm, I'm kind of figuring this out. I'm frustrated with the frustrations that come with pastoring. My family is going through some major turbulence. My brother was going through a really difficult time in his life, and it was causing turbulence in the rest of the family. And so all of this created this kind of this perfect storm where the four tires just broke me. I was just angry at God. I said some things to him I won't repeat. I was furious. And as fate would have it, that was the week that my mentor decided I needed to go to the Willow Creek Symposium. And I was in no mood to hang out with other pastors or Christians or anything at that point. I wanted to wallow and be upset. And this particular year, Tim Keller was one of the featured speakers. He had just written this book, The Prodigal God which if you haven't re- uh, read that book, buy it after sundown and read it immediately. It's a f- just an amazing book. And so I hadn't read it, and, uh, and, and, and we had this amazing moment where Tim Keller preached this sermon And I don't know if you've ever been somewhere and you felt like the person who preached the sermon was talking right to you and there was nobody else in the room and it was just you. And that's how it felt for me when Tim spoke that day. And I was prepared to be really angry because he was preaching on the prodigal son, what we often call the prodigal son. Tim doesn't like calling that. He likes to call it the parable of two lost sons or the parable of the prodigal God. Um, Because prodigal means wastefully extravagant. And the father in the story that Tim makes the point, the father in the story is the one who's wastefully extravagant. And that will be another sermon for another time. But what I wanted to drive at was this. At the end of the sermon, I've always hated the the prodigal son story because who's the bad guy at the end? It's the older brother. I'm an older brother. So my brother's having his issues. And I was prepared to be very unhappy with this sermon. And then Tim just smacked me in the face. He said, you know the people I worry about? He said, don't worry about the younger brother. The younger brother knows he's lost. I worry about the other brother, older brother because he doesn't know he's lost. The older brother thinks he's doing the work that the father wants him to do. And so he thinks he's all good. But what does the older brother's response at the end tell you? Haven't all these years i done all these things and you can't even give me a little party? What does that tell you? The older brother was working for the father's love. He was working for his inheritance. But how do inheritances work? You don't work for your inheritance. You get it because you're a child. And Tim said looked right at me and he said, Ken, <laughs> at least that's what I heard. <laughs> God doesn't owe you a single thing. He's already done everything that you could possibly want. God doesn't owe you anything. And if you think that, what you're, that you're working and you're doing something for God and he owes you, you're an older brother and you need to repent. <sighs> And suddenly, I was transported back a few years. It's my me, uh, my dad, and my brother. And uh, I was transported to a time where I was not doing well spiritually, where I had made some big mistakes in my life. And as always happens when we make big big mistakes, we blame everybody else, right? And so my blaming was the church. I don't even know if I want to be a Seventh-day Adventist. I don't know if I want to be a Christian. Christians are a bunch of hypocrites, blah, blah, blah. And this was the conversation I had with my dad and my family on a road trip to visit my grandmother. And the conversation started getting heated as we went because my dad loves Jesus. He loves the church and he cares. And so he was trying to reason with me. He was trying to, yeah, I know they're hypocrites, but you can't look at the people. you got to look at Jesus, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, yeah, 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 but if Jesus can't change the people, then what's the point? Blah, 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 blah. So we're going back and forth. I don't know if you uh, had a fight on your way to church this morning and then had to get out of the car and pretend like you hadn't had a fight, but that's what happened. When we showed up at my grandma's house, we were in mid-fight. And uh, we had to pretend like we weren't because we were at grandma's house. And grandma doesn't need to know all the drama. And so uh, we get out. We go in. And after the appropriate amount of time, my father comes and finds me. He says, Kenny, could we go upstairs and chat? And I'm like, sweet, round two. And so because I'm all about it, let's do it. And so I head upstairs, sit down on the, uh, the There are two beds in that room. And I sat down on one bed. My dad sat down on the other one. And uh, my dad looked at me and he completely caught me off guard. He said, uh, Kenny, I just have one question to ask you. I know that we say that God is our heavenly father, so I want to know as your earthly father whether I have misrepresented him to you. He said, because if I have, I want to profoundly apologize to you. And my dad, he's not perfect, but growing up, he felt perfect. He was a good dad. I, everybody should be so blessed to have my dad as their father. And right there, it broke the argument. Little lesson, you can think about that one for a little bit. It broke the argument. And I said, oh, no, Dad, Dad, no. I mean, I'm just going through some stuff in my life, and I'm just just having a hard time. And he said, okay, so I can handle that. And then he said, I can handle that. He said, but I want you to know this, Ken. I want you to hear this very clearly from me. No matter what you do in life, whether you leave the church, whether you leave God, it will not change my love for you. And it will not change whether I want you to be at home. You are always welcome in my home. And as I sat listening to Tim Keller, I remembered the grace that had been shown to me by my dad. And I suddenly remembered that I wasn't as enthusiastic about my dad's grace for my brother. Some things we need to know about grace God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace that he poured out on us who belonged to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Did you catch that adopted part? Every single one of us has been adopted by, Christ, by Jesus, by God. We're his sons and daughters. We belong to him. And what would have really stood out to the Roman reader of Ephesians was the thing about adoption. A child that is born into a family could be a disinherited, but a child that was adopted could never be disinherited under Roman law. God has adopted us, and he will not disinherit us. We're his. That doesn't mean that we can't run away. That doesn't mean we have to accept his grace, but it means that God's never going to give up on us. Like the prodigal son, we're always welcome to come home, and there are no questions asked. Come home. God saved us by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is the gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. You are not saved by what you do. Whenever you do something, that's called earning something. That's a transaction. That's buying something. So if you're doing something for your salvation, that means you're trying to buy it from God. And is there anything more disrespectful than to try to buy a gift from somebody? Have you ever been really infuriated by somebody you offered to give something to and they insisted on paying for it? You can't afford this. This is a gift. And that's the gift of salvation. It's a gift. Quit trying to buy it. It's already been bought. You don't have the funds in your account to get it. <laughs> Grace is this. It's unmerited favor or unearned love. How many of you like to earn your love? It's what we call prostitution. It's when you pay for something. And I know that's a strong word, but I want you to think about that. We treat God that way sometimes. We treat him like he's somebody who can be bought. Stop. It's free. It's done. It's yours. The next thing I want you to know about grace is that in his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you've suffered a little while, he'll restore and support and strengthen you, and he'll place you on a firm foundation. My purpose in writing is to encourage you and to assure you that you are experiencing is truly a part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in this grace. This is from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 10-12. The, the church that Peter's writing to is under assault. They're going through persecution. They're going through hard times. I want you to know, what did Paul say? That's part of God's grace for you. If you're going through difficulty, if you're experiencing sickness, if you're experiencing difficulty in your relationship, sometimes that is part of God's grace for you. The four tires, I believe without a doubt that God made those tires bald on purpose because he needed to capture my attention and make me realize how much I thought I was earning his favor as opposed to that he was giving it to me. Sometimes the bad things in life that come our way are a gift of grace from God to us. Not always. Some of the things that come to us are a result of sin and, and that. And that's, that's not God doing it to you. But I'm also reminded that God says that he will take everything that goes wrong in our life and bring beauty out of ashes. And so if you believe in God's grace, God's grace sometimes gives us hard times, and sometimes it gets us through hard times, and sometimes it makes us the person that God wants us to be. I need you to understand that God is not interested in your physical comfort in this life. He's interested in having a long-term, eternal relationship with you. And if my child has to suffer a little so that they can be happy in the long run, I don't enjoy it, but boy, that's what's going to happen. Grace isn't always pleasant. Grace doesn't always feel good, but it's still unmerited love. And is, any parent can tell you the hardest thing to do is to let your child suffer when you know it's what's best for them. Final point. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Give as freely as you received, says Jesus. If you've received grace, you've got to give it. Grace should inspire grace. And if it's unearned, it's unearned. That means that you don't give grace to people who deserve it. You give grace to the people who don't deserve it in your life.
2: Hey guys, it's Chris, Ken's younger brother. As you can imagine, I have some insights into Ken's life that are unique. I can tell you that when he was uh, younger into his teen and early twenties, he was arrogant, conceited, he thought he knew everything. He thought he was the political answer to this country's problems. And the Ken I grew up with, we kind of split ways and didn't get along very well. And I was on my own journey. Uh, I was the black sheep of the family and I wandered away far. Ken and I intersected again when he moved from Spokane to Nashville. He needed help driving the moving van and I was surprised that he called me, he reached out to me. I wasn't uh, in the church. I was definitely living a lifestyle outside of God's will. And during that trip, uh, I expected him to lecture me on my life and what I was doing wrong. Instead, Ken wanted to take the time to make some admissions about how flawed he had been. And I was so blown away and so taken back, I knew that he had something I wanted. and. During that trip, we renewed our relationship. More importantly, my brother didn't know it, but he had already started leading me back to Christ. You know, when that happened, it happened after my
1: four tires. Because grace inspires grace. and Instead of telling my brother what he was doing wrong, it was time for me to admit what I've been doing wrong. Grace inspires grace, and grace changes lives, not truth. Truth is a guide, but it doesn't change people, because you can know the truth and still do the wrong thing. But when you experience true grace, that changes lives. God owes me nothing, and yet he's freely given me everything. Indeed, we are all receiving grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace upon grace. I love that way that's translated. We receive grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. It's compound interest. It just keeps, and we can't tally how much grace God has given us. And when we finally realize that, it will change us. And it will change the world. And that that is what grace means to me.
3: All right. I'm Stanley. I'm your online worship host. But here I am on stage. Uh, That's because we've been receiving questions online. Uh, You that are still here in-house, you have an opportunity. You can hop on the church website or hop on Facebook and submit your questions about grace Right now, I'm going to toss it over to Gabby uh, while we wait for a couple more questions to come in. We already have a few, but uh, please submit them now. Thank you. All right, Pastor Ken. So my question is, are there limits to God's grace? And if so, where, where does he draw the line?
1: There are not limits to his grace. Um, the line is drawn by you and me. Um, we draw the line on how much grace we are willing to accept from God. And, and we're the ones who choose whether we want to allow God's grace to transform us. And so I think it's important for us to remember that, that um, there's a tendency to think, well, I've, I've made so many mistakes, God would never want me back. But that's not at all what the Bible story tells us. Um, the only thing that will keep you from coming home is yourself. Excellent.
3: We have a couple questions uh, about the relationship between grace and mercy. Lavender asks, "What's the difference?" and Denise asks, "How are they related between grace and mercy?"
1: Yeah, they're easy to get confused. Mercy is is has a lot more to do with forgiveness. Somebody has done something wrong, and mercy is is going ahead and granting them clemency and not for for what they have done, um, whereas uh, grace is unmerited favor. In other words, mm-hmm. you're receiving this because not because of anything you've done, which mercy mm-hmm. would be. You're receiving mercy because of something you've done. Um, grace is unmerited favor that you're receiving simply because. Almost like if you got
3: a traffic ticket and instead the cop gave you 100 bucks. Instead would be, that would be <laughs> amazing, and I highly recommend that to
1: any police officers watching this broadcast. I wish that happened.
3: Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, we do have a couple more coming in here. Um, Stanton asked, how does grace fit into our everyday life with others? That was Stanton. How does grace fit in?
1: I think it fits in if we're allowing God's grace to transform us and to fill us, then I think it flows right out of us into our interactions in everyday life. I think you know grace is um grace is going the extra mile for an employer who doesn't appreciate it uh Grace is um doing something nice for a coworker who's been sabotaging your efforts grace is um is Doing something that matters to your spouse, not expecting that they are going to uh, do something back in return for what you've done, so I think that that as Christians we should be the most grace filled filled people on earth that we we are allowing what has been poured into us to overflow and pour out of us
3: I see it's very it's almost very similar to unconditional love if i'm if I'm right, you know, it, it's reminding me a lot of how, no matter what, it's not necessarily deserved, and you're not necessarily doing anything to ask for it, but you're just giving it out because God gives us the ability to do so.
1: Yeah, grace is the product of unconditional love. Yeah, awesome. absolutely.
3: Okay, we have a lot of questions, but only time for one more. Uh, so, okay, who do I pick? Who do we pick? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is the hard part sometimes, is trying to decide. I'm going to go with Lynn's question. Um, she asks, so grace is like undeserving favor, something you haven't earned? She's looking for some clarification.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's unmerited favor. In other words, um, you have done, it is simply given to you because the giver loves you and chooses to do it for you. Not because they expect to get anything back, not because you've done anything for it but simply because. Um, and it is absolutely transformational in your relationships with God and with each other. And I, I think that sometimes when you grow up in uh, churches that are, are more fundamentalist, we really struggle with this concept because we do believe that, that God's rules matter, but they matter in the context of, we, we sometimes like to quote this when we say, what does the Bible say? God said, Jesus said, if you love me, Keep my commandments, but what did he say? If you love me, he didn't say if you want salvation. Keep my commandments. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Because what he knows is, is that keeping commandments flows out of love.
3: It's just grace. Sometimes it's just it's. It doesn't seem fair, and so it's like hard for
1: us to understand it sometimes. It's it's absolutely not fair. And that's that, that is maybe even another definition of grace. It's not fair. Excellent.
3: Well, we have more questions and I'm so sorry that we didn't get to all of them, but we always ask them during the podcast, uh, which you can find anywhere that podcasts are played. Uh, It is called officially now. This is whole life. And can I do a
1: plug? Sure. Go ahead. Plug it. (laughs) Ray actually did a bonus episode of the podcast from because I talk a lot in the podcast, so you had to cut it down. <laughs> so you cut one of my stories out. If you haven't read, uh, it was a story I thought about putting into the sermon this week, but didn't have time. So if you want to hear it,
3: it's a good one. I listened to it uh, last night. Yeah. So good one. All right. Well, thank you guys so much and feel free to still submit questions. And there's also the Ask Can uh, Anything series coming up. So thank you guys so much.
0: Hi, this is Randy McGray, podcast producer and host here at whole life church loving people into a lifelong friendship with god is our mission at the whole life church and our podcasts speaking of grace and its companion 15 with andy randy and jeff are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit now that you've heard the message for this week don't forget to check out the whole life takeaways for this message swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians. All focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast-related on our website, Podcast. And plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the Whole Life Church inspiration you love straight into your headphones. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.